How to Tell Stories to Children is a bi-weekly podcast exploring the science and methodology of storytelling. I am Silke Rose West. And I am Joseph Saracy. We are the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children. Our goal is to foster diverse storytelling by helping individuals like you awaken to the storyteller within. Good morning, Silka. Good morning, Joe. It's a really beautiful day here. We, we actually tried to record this in the garden, but it was a little too noisy. But we are looking at all the fresh green leaves and the flowers and thinking of you, our listeners, um, in this moment. We wanted to talk today about intuitive storytelling. And so let me give a little bit of a sense of what we mean when we say that. Sometimes when we think of storytelling, we think of telling fables or fairy tales or modern stories. And the method that that we generally teach, we call it intuitive storytelling, means you you start a little bit with a blank slate. Um, You're not coming prepared with a story that you have memorized or that you have a loose um, idea for. Instead, we're we're showing up relatively empty-handed. At first, that sounds more challenging. But what we're going to try to do in this episode is help you understand how actually it's very liberating and easier usually because you're not trying to retell anything. You're following your own imagination. And so maybe Silka, you can start us off by sharing some perspective. Sure. Thank you. I would invite uh, our listeners to picture an empty slate or a chalkboard and it's filled with a lot of things and I'm asking you to take this imaginative eraser and erase the chalkboard and now look and gaze at that empty chalkboard or the empty paper and it's blank and then let yourself be in that moment for a little bit and feel that emptiness. And so right now that emptiness is in your mind. All ideas, all concepts are basically gone. And all you know is that you want to create a story. Intuitive storytelling is actually an art form. So now you are creating and then I invite you to go to a place, a beginning point that feels good to you. Sometimes that could be a person. Sometimes it could be a place. It might be a plant. Let that be your beginning, your entry point into your intuitive story. And then you can picture that as you are starting to, let's say, tell about a certain landscape, with this old tree that's starting to blossom, something comes along. So you're continuously creating more and more of a picture. If you have started with the landscape, then perhaps next a person comes in. Where does that person come from, the right or the left? Perhaps it's a bird that comes out of the sky. 
And so imagine you are drawing this picture on this chalkboard or on this piece of paper. And every time the story grows, something new comes in. In the intuitive storytelling, we sometimes are surprised what shows up next because we don't necessarily have the idea. It's like that bird that's flying into the picture is not yet there in the beginning when I'm like, oh, I have to bring a bird in as a messenger. We just allow it to enter in because we already created the landscape for that bird to enter into. Can I chime in a little bit? Yes. Um, because this is something we refer to in the book frequently is starting with that beautiful blank slate. You know, that alone is actually a challenge. So l let it be that, you know, kind of be at peace with that maybe. Um, we're starting to get more and more feedback from listeners that say, hey, this sounds great and all, but you know, it's hard for me to just access my imagination. I can't just drop in in, in a moment and uh, see that tree and see the bird. I think the number one thing to do there as, as you're beginning is just allow that. Just let that be. Just be who you are. That's, that's, the, that's the first chapter of our book is be yourself. And that's the hardest thing to do, but it's also the most beautiful. Because when you can just drop in and be real with who you are, you do not have to be this masterful anything. Just be honest with yourself. And then second, Silke, you're talking about drawing an image or something in. Something that we often teach is using something from our child's environment that is real and, and using that as kind of our entry point. It might be a doll. It might be an activity. It might be a plant or something in the car while you're driving. Um, it does not have to be that, but sometimes that's a way to put something. It's this kernel. It's this seed of the story. You don't have the story. You don't know where it's going to end, but you have this entry point. And what, what I wanted to emphasize here was that, you know, you, you're describing this as a picture going on the chalkboard or on a piece of paper. And so in a way we're describing, it's, very, it's highly visual. And it is also true that all of us access our imaginations in different ways. But the goal here is to access really in particular, your visual imagination, and then start describing it. This method becomes very, very powerful when you slow down and are at peace with yourself and allow yourself to pull that imagination in because you're following your own creativity. And as you do that, the method becomes very simple. I would also say that if you do encounter difficulties because the internal voices uh, that have conditioned us as adults, perhaps you've been ridiculed uh, for drawing a funny person when you were little, perhaps a teacher said you weren't good enough. And if these voices are strong within yourself, then I invite you to go to that place of a meditative space. You could even use an instrument or something to do a simple sound, a repetitive sound, and just tell yourself, I am safe. It's all right for me to create something in the best way that I can. It doesn't have to be a masterpiece. No one will criticize me. 
It is my own gift. And so in that, we actually have to touch base with our own child self. We become like the children. The little one that takes the paper and is like, wow, look, I drew my first person. And perhaps you remember when your child put feet on this round head for the first time and you're <laughs> like, oh, it's a being. And for the child, it's like it's alive. And in our imagination, if we can go back to that and, and then not look at this drawing, our own drawing that's part of our intuitive story, if we can look at it not from judgment of it's not good enough, but it's like the first person people drawing of our little child and the excitement we share with our child is the excitement we share with ourselves. And then give yourself permission to stand in awe of yourself. <gasps> you just created this being that walked into the story. It might even have a name. And uh, your child will feel your authenticity. Your child will feel that it has actually the ability to look at your drawing from that place of, wow, oh, I can actually see it. The child will actually be able to see that character that you are creating that comes alive through you. That's so lovely, Silka. Thank you. That gets right at the, at the heart of it because, right, if, you, if your four-year-old brings you a drawing <laughs> and you react with criticism <laughs> based on, you know, uh, the different artwork you've seen in your life, it's so, it's absurd, right? It's basically absurd. What we're doing is we're celebrating this being. And that's what we're talking about here in this intuitive storytelling. You have, you have to learn how to do that for yourself. You have to learn that your story is valuable simply because you're telling your story. If we're full of those judgments and self-doubt, that is going to crowd our interior space and our imaginations. And it is, you know, we're gonna trip on our own feet, basically. By welcoming in that story and saying, this, this is something I'm entering with my child. I'm not, I'm not doing this to become a professional storyteller. Silka and I are not professional storytellers. Our goal is to connect with our kids, our children and our students. That's, that's the essence of the goal here. And that is something that no one else can do for you. And it's something that you do do uniquely well. So when we, when we touch into that place internally and we go, all right, I'm telling stories because I love this child in my life. And we get to share this richness of imagination. Try to stay focused with that because it's an empowering message instead of this idea that, well, there's all these other great storytellers out there telling these great stories. Um, you know, hey, wonderful, good for them. But this is about you. Just like when your child does that drawing, it's about them. It's not about comparing that to somebody else. And I would go back to having taught for over 30 years. I have seen children that would say, I'm not willing to draw. I want you to draw for me. You can do it better. These things do happen. Sometimes we also have a blind spot in ourselves. Perhaps we are 
judging ourselves. Perhaps we are measuring ourselves. So it is intuitive storytelling is an invitation to actually look honestly at that part of our own being. And if that stands in the way to slowly maybe practice on your own, maybe you're not yet comfortable to do it with your child. Perhaps you'll have to be sitting in the car driving along and just picture like, okay, it's an empty slate. Uh, let me just pretend I'm driving into some foreign land where I have never been before and I'm going on vacation and there's going to be a different language in that place where I arrive. I probably have a hard time navigating, but it's going to be so exciting. And then take this excitement and tell yourself a story in the car that you make up. And it could be the funniest, silliest story ever. And just you are the one hearing it. You're telling it to yourself. If you evoke within your own being a, a sense of joy or excitement, that's actually how you can measure that you, are, that you have arrived at that place where it's okay. It's okay for it to be silly. Perhaps it becomes so sad. Perhaps it becomes so dramatic that whatever, the whole car is shaking. You know, let that let those feelings arise. Mm. Let feel the aliveness of that intuitive storytelling, because it awakens in you an aliveness that is the birthright for every child. This this is something that I often say to people, which is once once you find that story in your in your own imagination, in your own mind that excites you your stories will start to become exceptional. Sometimes when we're telling stories and we're telling stories with kids, we immediately go to a focus of what story do I need to tell this child? What story do I need to tell for? So, you know, I, I'm trying to find a story that's good for them. I actually think it's a better place to start. Find a story that's good for you. And it's okay even sometimes if your story is a little over a child's head or under their head, because you'll learn in the practice, right? You'll learn how to moderate uh, and find that even uh, place between you. But the key is this, when you are engaged in your own internal story, you light up. That's what happens to every single person on the planet. You know it. And, and, and this goes for children's stories, but it goes for you know, people at the office or when families get together and you're talking around somebody and somebody's telling a story and you just know that they are, they're just on, you know, they're lit up inside. It's even when we don't like the story, sometimes we love the telling of it. We love the hearing because we love to see somebody come alive from, from within. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're trying to do in an intuitive story. And children are just attracted like magnets to people that can do that. When you're telling a story and you can hardly keep the smile off your face or the excitement out of your fingers and uh, the air around you, it, it's just golden. It's so golden. So pay attention to what you like. What are those stories that captivate you? Because we're all telling ourselves stories throughout our day. We have all these thoughts and ideas in our, in our, 
in our heads that are going around. And the truth is most of them are attached to stories in a way, whether we're replaying something that happened at work or something with our partner at home or something with our kids or the refrigerator's not working, whatever. The truth is when, when these things are cycling around, they're, they're, they're in the form of a story. So embracing the fact that you are a storyteller, it is so intrinsic to what you are as a human being you are telling stories all the time. Now we're trying to bring that and focus that into how am I telling stories with children because it builds this bond and this relationship. So we're, we're bringing attention to something that works for children, but we're staying in a place of personal inspiration. And I think it's a, a tuning in. It's tune into yourself. Where are you right now? How are you feeling? What story wants to arise out of you at this moment? Try to go to a place where you're not so goal-oriented. Like the story doesn't, it's just picture yourself like this child. It's like, I'm just going to draw. I'm just going to draw. So you're now, I'm just going to tell a story. That's all I'm going to do. I don't even know what story it's going to be. I'm just going to tell a story. And I have to go back to this place. I'm just going to tell a story. I'm not producing something that uh, has to be evaluated by someone. Mm. I'm not going to get an A or a B or a C or an F. I can't fail. This is a gift. It's the gift of my aliveness. And I can actually nurture my own being, my own core being through this story for myself. And children also have this highly intuitive sense that if they see there is a storyteller who tells the story to get a certain outcome and the storyteller is focused on that outcome because you got to get it, they pick up on that. It makes a child step backwards. But if you can stay in this place of love, I deliver this story out of the love for life, out of the love for the connection, out of the love for being a parent. And, and it's not necessarily because I tell you, let me tell you this story. The intuitive story, let's go of that. In the intuitive story, we go to that place of like, from a place of connecting and love. And I love myself enough to tune in, to let go of the voices that are telling me who to be, and that allow me to speak from a place of pure authenticity. When you were saying that, what was coming through for me is that the story tells itself to the speaker and the listener. And then, and then I got really jazzed on what you were saying. And, and I, I remembered some things that we've talked about in the past. So I'd, I'd, like, I'd like you to, to picture this, right? Picture a place in your mind that's a, that's a beautiful and a safe place. Whether that's a playground, it's a garden, it's the forest. Um, some place that you love to go that you would feel this happiness surrounding you, bigger than you. Imagine sitting there with your child and you hear the wind and you see the colors, you see the greens and the leaves and maybe you see the little wildflowers 
and you see the clouds, the sun and the sky, the birds. These things are communicating to you one way or another, whether it's just visually, with the sounds, whatever. Sometimes when we can really sink in, there's a story there. And that story, if we're quiet, if we're quiet enough, that story comes alive through our own voices. It becomes a gift to ourselves. It becomes a gift to our children. It becomes a gift to the earth. And it does not have to be this just super groovy natural thing. I don't, I don't really mean that because, because great stories come from the washing machine. You know, I mean, it, there are stories everywhere, but that's the feeling. That's the feeling tone that we're looking for when we're telling this intuitive story. And it's not that intuitive stories are better than Aesop's fables or something like that. It's just that for most of us, trying to memorize something and repeat a memorized thing is actually kind of stressful. Unless you have, unless you are a professional storyteller, but if you don't have something memorized, trying to remember it and speak it, there's cognitive dissonance there. If that term means anything to you, you're trying to do something different, and it impairs us from telling the story. Whereas there is this beautiful flow state, right? That's another psychological term. This beautiful flow state that happens when we're just in touch loosely with our surroundings, within this loving container of the relationship with our child and with our own imaginations. And all of a sudden, the story presents itself. We have this entry point, this kernel, something. And then all of a sudden, the story just begins to flow and we're telling it to ourselves. The earth is telling it to us. We're telling it to our child. It sounds magical, but it is very, very possible, and every single person can do it. And when you get there, you'll never, ever go back. It, it, will, it will be so powerful for you, you will get it instantly, and you will no longer need to listen to us or anyone else, because you will just own it. So I encourage you to practice once a day with yourself perhaps, as I said, driving in the car, instead of putting on a podcast, instead of listening to music, turn off the radio, tell yourself a story while you're driving to town, or perhaps when you go for a walk. But find a place where you wish yourself and practice. Practice even for 30 days. Every day, tell yourself a story. Let yourself be excited by the story that's being told through you. Perhaps you discover parts of yourself you didn't even know were there. It's actually really exciting. It's empowering. And in it, you will perhaps shift out of the busyness of life. And it's also something that can slow you down. And the children will pick up on that. Um, but I... I invite you to, to do a little bit practice with yourself daily and just picture that you are strengthening that intuitive storytelling muscle and um, that it's there. You just have to practice. Yeah, that's a, 
Excellent point. I think the practice is just couldn't, couldn't emphasize that enough. And I think one thing that can help is that, you know, stories can be very, very short. Sometimes a two or three minute story can be magnificent. <laughs> um, it can make all the difference to you and your child. It can, it can turn around moods in the day. So as you're practicing, allow yourself to tell very short stories if that's helpful. If, if, the, if that's the, the, the footsteps that help you to do it. It can be as simple as an ant sliding down a broad leaf and then climbing back up to go down again. Such a story can, can sometimes really just light us up inside and light our child up. And by practicing these little, little, little stories, over time, you'll learn to stitch them together into longer and more complicated narratives. But you don't need to start there. You can start with something very simple. You know, another thing that I, I wanted to say was, because you said something so great earlier, Silka, which was about just, just letting your story be enough. Letting, letting your story not be judged. And what we can do when we, when we do that, when we can honestly do that for ourselves, is we, we actually reflect that and model that for our children. That we teach them that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that I'm not some epic professional storyteller. My, my story matters. Your child will pick up on that. They'll know. They won't doubt you anywhere near as much as you doubt yourself. <laughs> and it sends that message that what you have to share is valuable. Isn't that what you want your, your children to learn? Just in their drawings, in their stories that they have to share. We want our kids to grow up with that internal message that you know, we're, we're, we're here. We, we want to listen. We want to know what you think and what interests you. And we need to model that a little bit for them. And sometimes for us, we've, as adults, we've learned not to do that, right? We've, we've learned to quiet ourselves down, to stifle ourselves. So at some level, this is outstandingly easy. And at some level, it's outstandingly hard because we actually, we have to value ourselves. So can we go, can we, can we cycle back to method a little bit? how we began. So we're beginning with a blank slate mm -hmm. and we're introducing an image. Yes, and we decide what image we would like, whether it is a landscape or whether it's a person, an animal, a plant or an object. And then we picture that we're drawing that on our paper and something else is coming along because stories are like... Uh, they, they introduce continuously another picture. Something gets elaborated, something. It could be just two things. It could be more. And in it, the, the encounter of these two things is going to create a, a picture. It's like that drawing. 
the landscape, the apple tree that's blossoming and all of a sudden there comes a little girl that walks along and out of the apple tree drops a water bottle. How did it drop out of an apple tree? Where did that water bottle come from? And so in it, there is then also this, like, there is a mystery. And if you look at very young drawings of children and you look beyond the scribbles, sometimes you can see things. If you tell a child what you see, they will tell you, no, that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. It's actually something else. The child knows what's in the scribble. We oftentimes say, oh, I can see it. And they're like, no, you can't. I know what's in there. So just even if it's that scribble picture, look beyond. What do you see? Only you know. If it's the water bottle that dropped out of the apple tree, maybe there was a gigantic dragon who sat in the tree who dropped that bottle on your head. Who knows? It could have been a water fairy. Perhaps it was a trash gnome who thought like, oh, look, there's a bottle. It doesn't belong here. But only you know. I can't actually tell you. So you could picture who is that for you sitting in that apple tree that dropped that bottle on that girl's head. Only you know. I actually don't know. And so create these situations where you have a few things coming together and in it, there is a, um, a situation that arises that you can create that needs to find an answer, but only you have that answer. And that answer is part of your story. And it makes your story exciting mm. because no one else could ever come up with what you came up with. Yeah, you don't know the end. No. You don't know the end when you begin. Right. And th that's very different from how most, again, professional storytellers tell stories. They know exactly what they're going to tell you, and they are, and it is wonderful. But there's something beautiful about these intuitive stories. I, I would say without question, both Silka, I, I know your stories, uh, and the best stories I've ever told, I, I had no idea what was going to happen. And what's also interesting is that sometimes after the fact, the story was so amazing, I've tried to retell it, is never as good as that first time. There's this mystery, um, there's this following, there's this searching as we're exploring our own imagination and creativity that's so beautiful. And one thing I wanted to say as you're describing all this, Soka, is that one thing that really helps is just allow all the mistakes and the goofs. One of the funniest things, you know, Soka and I uh, have told so many stories together with the groups of kids. And one of the best parts is when one of us is telling a story and then we get, you know, 15 minutes in and the kids start correcting us because, because we forgot, you know, we forgot somebody's name and then we called them something else. And they're like, no, 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 that wasn't the gnome. That was Charlie. And all oh, right, Charlie, <laughs> you know, when you allow for that and you just laugh at yourself, you know, or the ant didn't go down the slide. It was in the pool. Oh, right. The ant was in the pool. If we stay connected to the, the goal here, right, we're not working for Hollywood. The goal is the connection with these kids. And when the kids are so excited that they're, they're, they're paying attention to that story and they're correcting you, like, wow, 
I think you can get this idea of how that story is being told through you and with you. And so just allow those mistakes. They're very bonding. Sometimes those are some of the best things because you laugh about it. It becomes this joke. Sometimes it can be a long uh, running joke between the two of you. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that connection. We're not looking for a Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, and what you mentioned too is it reminds us to stay uh, attentive when we tell the intuitive story because we can't actually drift off in our mind and then all of a sudden, oh, let's go back in the picture book and look where where is it? What does it say? Uh, so you are actually, as we grow older, I can say that uh, it becomes sometimes more difficult to stay truly present with the story. So it's it's actually a good practice for us to stay present. Once you have an interruption of a, a text coming in or a phone call, an intuitive story can be interrupted to a point where you can't pick it up. Mm. So that's the other thing, you know, this uninterrupted space. And when children listen, they're good to call on us if we lose track of something. It's like they're picking it up and they're like, hey, wait a minute. Yes, the ant was in the pool and not on the leaf. And that's really wonderful. But as the storyteller, I have to stay present. And so the gift of the intuitive story is also it helps me as the adult to be truly present in the moment. And in that moment, the children, they will know that I'm truly present because I'm giving off myself with this story. Mm. And it's a gift to me. It helps me actually to grow and to grow stronger in my being, in my own capacity. Yeah, that, that it reminds me of, of the creative piece. So, so one of the things about life, if, if you're at all familiar with Maslow's uh, hierarchy, it's, it's, uh, he's this psychologist who identified these things of what makes people feel valued and happy um, and good in life. And of course, at the very foundation level are things like food and warmth and these kinds of things. But once you get those foundational things set up, there's this, this uh, a, a feeling of inclusion, of responsibility. And one of those things is creativity, right? When people are able to express their own creativity, it fills us with a sense of value. And we express our creativity in many different ways. We don't all have to do the same thing. Some of us are musicians. Some of us express our creativity in the kitchen. Some of us express our creativity through visual forms, drawing and painting. Some of us express our creativity in our work, um, in all kinds of arenas, right? When we're telling stories we're allowing that expression of creativity to erupt within ourselves. And that is a major part of what makes the whole experience very satisfying. Because when a person feels creative, they feel connected and bonded to their loved ones. This is an extremely rich experience. And so it's worth the practice. It's worth kind of bumbling through it because you'll experience the richness, if not on your first time, in time for sure. Is there anything more that you wanted to say? Enjoy your practice and watch yourself growing.
in the process in discovering parts of yourself that you may not even have known existed in you. It's really exciting. Yeah. So I'm excited for you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, and maybe one last thing I want to put out there to our our listeners is that, you know, we're just starting to kind of really get feedback from people about things that we say that are helpful, things that are not so helpful, what's what more is needed. We just love that feedback because it helps us focus everything that we're putting out there, our podcasts, our different writing and stuff, to help make it more useful to you. So if there's more you need to know, if there's other topics you'd like us to address, please give us that feedback, including the critical feedback, because, boy, we just so, so truly want to help inspire you. Uh, because we actually think you are an incredible storyteller. That's the, that's the whole point. The whole point is that we think you're as good as we are, and everybody else, too. Every, everybody can do it, and it's so meaningful. And, and all together, we are forming a storytelling circle. We are actually in, in that moment when you step into that circle of the intuitive storyteller. Picture yourself stepping into this big circle with many parents who are facing that same challenge. And then acknowledge in yourself the courage that you have and also feel that you're being held by a community. And perhaps that community will even find a voice in your stories. And that makes me very joyful when I think about that. Hmm. And I feel I'm in community with you. So I thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in today and letting us feel that joy of community through storytelling. Hey everyone, Joseph Saracy here. We're going to get back to the podcast in a second, but I want to share a few announcements. First, thanks for listening. We love your comments and questions too, so keep them coming. You can reach us on our about page at howtotellstoriestochildren.com. Second, please rate this podcast and write a review if you have the time. It makes it easier for other folks to find us. You can also pledge $4 at Patreon and help keep this podcast alive and free for everyone. Third, the relaunch of our book is scheduled for June 22nd. We're going to be announcing lots of extra events, interviews, and giveaways in the next few months, so stay tuned. If you're not already on our mailing list, you can sign up at howtotellstoriestochildren.com. Finally, we're delighted to announce that the book has 15 foreign editions and counting, including Chinese, German, Japanese, Spanish, Korean, Arabic, and a whole lot more. So, Wherever you're listening, you're bound to find a copy soon. Okay, now back to the episode. So we'd like to share with you a, uh, an example of an intuitive story um, of how we do it. It just so happens right now, I injured one of my feet. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of hobbling around. <laughs> I have been for a few weeks. And Silka pulled a muscle in her neck. So we've been joking a little bit how she's been calling me Tenderfoot and, and I'm calling her Crooked Neck. So we're going to tell the story of Tenderfoot and Crooked Neck. There was once a crow named Crooked Neck. And Crooked Neck happened to be living in a beautiful old cottonwood tree. 
Crooked Neck always had her head to the left. And when she caught, it was always a little bit of funny sound. Caw, caw. It always sounded like, oh, I wish my neck wasn't so crooked. That's what it sounded like. The other crows, they flew by and said, well, Crooked Neck, why don't you straighten your neck? And every time Crooked Neck tried to straighten her neck, she just couldn't do it. It was painful. And so she kept cawing and cawing until one day someone called up to her. She was up in her cottonwood tree and there was someone limping along. Who's that? thought Crooked Neck and looked down, her head tilted to the left. Gah, gah, who are you? There's been an accident, said the um, fox who was limping along. A tree fell in the forest and a bunch of animals have been hurt. One of the branches landed on my foot and oh, it took me forever to limp over here. We need to get help, but all the animals are stuck in the forest. We need somebody to fly over there and mark it so that we can send some people in and find the place. Now, this was the perfect thing for Crooked Neck because the thing about Crooked Neck was that because her head was a little bit crooked to the side, not only was her head like that, whenever she flew, she always flew in circles. So instantly, Crooked Neck knew, oh, I've been waiting for this. And Crooked Neck took off into the air and from up high, she could easily see where the tree had fallen and she saw there was a bear and a couple squirrels that were holding their knees. One of them was trying to bandage its shoulder. And so Crooked Neck flew over and started circling high above the trees to mark the space. Now, I gotta tell you, there were several other crows that were also trying to do the same thing, but they kept zooming right past her. They would just fly in straight lines right through and then they would realize they were way past the spot. And so they would have to slow down, put on their air brakes and turn around and come back and they kept zipping by her and zipping by her and Crooked Neck started to laugh because it was so easy for her to just fly in that circle around the spot. And while Crooked Neck flew around the circle and circled above, she dropped one feather on the east, one feather in the south, one feather in the west and one feather in the north. And she knew that even those on the ground, they would find these feathers as a marking. And so the help was able to come. But then Crooked Neck got tired and decided to fly back home, was hoping to see Tenderfoot the fox. For in her mind, she had been thinking of fox and she thought, I'll call him Tenderfoot. He's a good friend to have. I'm so glad he got me. I thought I could never be helpful to anyone, but he, he called on me. I want to give him thanks. 
At times she came back to her cottonwood tree. Tenderfoot was asleep. His paw had been swollen and he was in pain. Ka, ka, called Crooked Neck. And she dropped a feather from up high and it landed right on the paw of Tenderfoot the fox who woke up. And when Tenderfoot woke up, he saw the feather on his paw and somehow he knew that the others had been saved. And so, <sighs> he breathed a sigh of relief. And he looked up and he saw Crooked Neck there and he smiled. But then he looked down at his paw, which was still swollen. And as he stood up, he winced from the pain on his foot. <sighs> now I'll never be able to travel through the forest as lightly as I once did, thought Tenderfoot. Because a fox treasures its ability to walk softly and be almost invisible. But now Tenderfoot was walking so sideways and limping that he was a sight for everybody to see. And he was feeling sad. But Crooked Neck was looking down at Tenderfoot and had an idea. Crooked Neck flew off again from her branch and this time spiraled out to the west. And that's how Crooked Neck could get from place to place, not in a straight line, but she could spiral. As she spiraled through the sky, Tenderfoot looked at her and saw the beautiful way that she flew. And he thought to himself, no other bird flies like that. I wonder why, because it's so magnificent. They're just flitting here and there, always zooming back and forth. What an interesting way to fly. And as Tenderfoot was thinking that, Crooked Neck was looking down and saw Tenderfoot and the way that from up in the air, his movement, though not fast and secretive like the other foxes, had this unique wobble to it. It made it so that Crooked Neck could always follow and know exactly who Tenderfoot was. And that turned out to be important because as Crooked Neck flew further away, she had gone off to one of the distant mountain peaks where there was still snow. And she gathered a good bit of snow. She had to go looking for some big, broad leaves on the forest floor in which to pack it. But soon she had made a little bundle like a little basket for a picnic full of snow. She picked it up and carried it in her beak. And this made her circle and spiral even more because now she was laden down with this heavy snow, pulling her head even more to the left. But now as she flew, she sort of laughed, except she didn't laugh too hard because she didn't want to drop the snow. And as she spiraled and spiraled through the sky, the other crows, actually started trying to fly just like her because they were curious, they were interested. And they tried to spiral around, but they mostly got dizzy and two of them balked right into each other and 
tail spinned out of the sky until they caught themselves just before they hit the treetops. Finally, Crooked Neck made her way back to the forest. And when she did, she saw that there were several foxes and kits slinking through the forest. How will I find my friend, thought Crooked Neck. But as she looked down, there was this one that wobbled back and forth, a little bit of a zigzag. And she knew immediately, ah, that must be Tenderfoot. And so she spiraled her way down to Tenderfoot. And when she landed, she saw that it was him, and she gave him the leaf bag of snow. And her feet touched the ground, and Tenderfoot looked at her and gladly received the help that she had to offer. And Crooked Neck said to Tenderfoot, I am glad that you're accepting the help, for you've been so brave coming to get me. I would like to show you something. Hmm. What is it? asked Tenderfoot. I have a special place in the mountain where I got this snow. There is a cave in it. It's a very special cave. If you ever, when your foot is healed, you can come with me to that cave and I will show you something. Hmm, what is it? said Tenderfoot. He was rather curious. It's a cave where you can go in and if I sing in that cave with my crooked voice, it turns into crystal chimes. Oh, said Tenderfoot, that sounds amazing. Yep, I don't think anyone else but me knows about it, said Crooked Neck. Tenderfoot thought to himself, well, that's a reason to heal a little bit faster. So he kept the snow on his paw, and before he knew it, he was healed. And Crooked Neck and Tenderfoot they became good friends and journeyed into the mountain where Tenderfoot got to see the special cave that Crooked Neck knew about. But that's another story for another time. And perhaps we will be able to tell that to you. Thank you for listening to How to Tell Stories to Children, a bi-weekly podcast from the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children, an acclaimed new book empowering parents and teachers across the world. A new edition is due out in 15 languages from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt in June of 2021. You can find more story ideas at howtotellstoriestochildren.com and on our Facebook page. You can also submit questions and topics. We like to hear from you. And by pledging $4 on Patreon, you can help us keep this podcast alive and free for everyone. Together, we can spread the intimacy and joy of storytelling, one family at a time.